0: Welcome to the Animal Welfare Junction, a place where different disciplines come together for the benefit of animals and the people who care about them. Welcome to episode one of the Animal Welfare Junction. This is your host, Dr. G. Our music is written and produced by Mike Sullivan. So our topic today is the importance of accessible and affordable veterinary care. Now, what does that mean? Well, accessibility is the ability of a pet owner to find care for their pet but affordability is their ability to have the finances to provide for that care. So when we talk about problems with accessibility, that can be due to lack of resources in the area, but we also have to consider lack of resources directly from the individual. For example, we can have individuals, like elderly individuals that lack transport. So they may have a veterinarian that is relatively close by, but they don't have the transportation to go there. Therefore, it is not accessible. Now, affordability is very personal because it varies from one situation to another. What is affordable to one person may not be affordable to another. I worked at a practice where it w- we were offering low-cost services and many people were very thankful for the cost that we were offering because they were able to afford it. But as low as our costs were, there were still individuals that could not afford it. So even though we were considered affordable, It's it can be seen as a misnomer because affordability depends on the, on the ability of the individual. Now, to better understand this topic, I have invited three guests to share their thoughts and experiences with us. First, we will have Mike Davis, Executive Director of the Animal Health Organization, which is a nonprofit veterinary facility in Delaware, Ohio. And he will be sharing why he does what he does. Our second guest is Jen Thomas, director of the Ross County Humane Society, and she is going to share the impact of accessible and affordable care to both the community and to the shelter animals. And then our final guest is Dr. Andrea Iglesias. She is a clinical and community psychologist, and she's gonna help us understand the importance of animals to humans, and in particular, the importance of animals to individuals living in poverty, and the toll that the lack of care takes on both the pet and the owner. Our first guest is Mike Davis. Mike is the founder and executive director of the Animal Health Organization, which is a nonprofit in Delaware, Ohio. Thanks, Mike, for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, let's start with the main question: what is your What is your response to the idea of if you cannot afford an animal, you should not have one?
1: Um, I strongly disagree. Um, I think my experience has, you know, proven. To me, that animals are necessary um, in your well-being. Um, that's physical and mental, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, a lot of these people who may not be able to afford, you know, the medical care um, or even food and things like that, um, are also are many times the best owners. In my experience, um, they would give their, you know, their clothes and their back for these animals, versus people who, you know, may be able to afford the the highest breed, um, the best breed, and and, you know, not take care of them, not really cherish them that much um, and put that much attention into them. Um, but I definitely think it goes back to, uh, you know, physical well-being and mental well-being. Uh, just being able to kind of have that partnership, I guess, with that animal and, and care for something like that.
0: Yeah, no, Absolutely. Um, and and that's what I mean. What we see is that it is important to have you know, like when we when we're sick or we don't feel good, and that dog sits next to you, or that cat sits next to you, and you just pet them, and your oxytocin levels go up, and yeah. it just makes you feel so much better. So, it individuals that are are in need have probably even more of a need for these animals for their overall well being
1: yeah. than
0: than individuals that could potentially afford them. Yeah. So tell tell us about the Animal Health Organization. So what is it, when did it start, and why did you feel the need for it?
1: Um, yeah, so we are a nonprofit animal welfare organization um, with a focus on veterinary medical care, accessible and affordable um, medical care, um, and kind of our mission is basically just to provide whatever services are needed to a patient, I guess, um, to keep them happy and healthy and out of shelters and with their families um, that are, you know, take good care of them and, and love them. But um, what we found or what I found in my experience was you can get a little bit of, you know, you can get your low cost vaccines, you know, if you travel here and you can get your low cost spay neuter if you travel here, but there wasn't anywhere other than, rascal obviously um that does kind of everything and will work with that patient no matter what it needs and in my opinion that's better medical care to know you know you know the pet from being a puppy at its vaccines to you know it's getting its dental um you know three years down the road or whatever. Um I just feel like that's better medical care to have that full you know relationship there and know that patient. Um so we kind of came about in that to to basically organize a hospital to where people can bring their pets for any reason um and and having access providing that access to that to the public like that um so that they can get that care um, we hold ourselves to a very high standard um as you do as well um just to make sure that people you know, who can't afford, you know, to go to your other specialty clinics or hospitals still have an option for that same level of care, basically. Um, So we just wanted to create kind of that environment where people felt safe, they felt comfortable coming to us, and they knew they were going to get the care that they needed, regardless of what that meant.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I've had the, the opportunity to to work at your practice a couple of times with some special procedures and it, and you do provide a lot of those things. Like you have an extra machine. You recently got full blood work, lab work equipment. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, so you are, it, I, I say it's not, it's not cheap. It's mm-hmm. inexpensive. It's low cost. Like the ideology of cheap is that you pay what you get for and yeah. you are providing an affordable care, but you're still providing high quality care. So that's really important for people to understand that, you know, the, the quality that they're, that they're getting. Yeah. So how, how do you feel that offering this, this service affects the quality of life of the individuals? I mean, you already say that they feel safe and they feel able to come in. The individuals and the animals that come in, but also how does that impact the quality of life of your staff?
1: Yeah, so um, with the pets and owners, yeah, exactly. Like I said, I mean, I feel like you need someone in your life, whether that's a human or or an animal, to 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 rely on you, maybe to care for. Um, so it gives them kind of a responsibility, I guess. Um, and um, we've seen those animals come in, and and they love that family, so they want to stay with that family. Um, so it definitely impacts, you know both lives there and then as far as our staff goes, you know compassion fatigue is very high in veterinary medicine. Um, we have one of the highest um, in the in the field. Um, but I think a lot of that does come from us having to turn things away, you know in the veterinary field. so this person doesn't have these funds to cover this then you know this place can't do that. And they'll just turn them away or they'll recommend euthanasia um, versus a place like ours where that's not something you have to ever be ashamed of like oh I can't afford that care. Um so our staff is able to get provide the care um to these animals regardless of the family's financial situation, um, which definitely helps them. So they don't go home at the end of the day thinking, oh, I could have done this for this patient or I could have done that. Um, they go home knowing they did everything for that patient that they could, um, and provided them with the best medical care possible. So um
0: yeah, and that and that is such a big I mean, we have talked about this a lot because it's similar to how you know my my staff works. <laughs> so hard and they're really, really tired at the end of the day, but their ability to see a reward from what they're doing helps them have a, kind of like a good quality of life and be able to go home and share, hey, today I helped this, today I I did this, as opposed to unfortunately some technicians and doctors that you see their posts on social media about how depressed they are, how sad they are about the situations that that they had to see. So, so yeah, it, it does have a huge impact on the quality of life of our, our staff. Now, nice. you know, we're, we're able to offer these services because of how we, we manage things. Why why do you think veterinary care has become so expensive?
1: Um I definitely think there's a bunch of you know variables. Um, you know, that's from inventory costs. Those go up annually. I mean, I'm sure you just this you know, in January, I've gotten so many letters, actually they're sitting right here, um, of costs that are going up. Um, So um, I think it comes from inventory and our suppliers. Um, But I think when, you know, you forget to look at some of the other things as a pet owner, you forget to look at the overhead that's there, um, including, you know, your building, that's, you know, your your brick and mortar building, Um, you have bills in that building, Um, you have staff. Um, And if you want quality staff, you pay for that quality staff. and then, you know, veterinarians and technicians, they have a lot of student loans, especially veterinarians now, Um, the cost of vet school continues to rise. um. So we see these vets coming out of school that have these high, you know, um, student loans and they need that salary to be able to cover that. So I just think there's a bunch of those variables add together to create kind of that higher cost that's there because, you know, that place wouldn't be there if they couldn't afford, you know, the, that staff and that, that facility. So... Um, I feel like we forget to think about that kind of stuff, but um, it's there and it's it's real, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: well, well, and with like the equipment that you just got, like we think about yeah. practices years and years and years ago that it was just a microscope and a stethoscope. Mm-hmm. But now we're talking about an x-ray machine that then you're getting into forty, eighty thousand $80,000 because just because it's for animals, sometimes people think... That it's for a dog, so it should be less expensive. Well, the equipment is the equipment is the equipment, right? Like when we do a CT, it's like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar piece of equipment. Yeah. So all of those costs kind of have to have to get taken care of because if you don't charge and you can't pay your bills, then you can't practice and you have to shut down.
2: Right.
0: So, you know, you guys offer both wellness care and then other care. So what is the importance as far as the wellness care, like, you know, just in the long-term?
1: Definitely priority. Um, I feel like every facility should have that as a priority. Um, Even the, you know, the low-cost, you know, vaccine clinics, um, things like that, those have their place because that wellness, you know, transfers down their life. So, you know, this animal that's up-to-date on its vaccines and kept up-to-date, on its vaccines and and preventatives, you know, may not have um, some of those, you know, diseases down the road that those vaccines cover, Um, you know, getting spayed and neutered there, that eliminates so many medical, you know, things down the road, issues down the road. Um, And same with prevention, like, you know, that can prevent tick-borne disease down the road or heartworm disease down the road, things like that. So um, it definitely has its Place and it's definitely, in my opinion, should be a priority for through every veterinarian is focused on that preventative wellness so that you can prevent that. Like that's exactly what it is: preventative wellness, so you can prevent those emergencies, um, and urgent care cases that happen down the road.
0: Well, I'm I'm really glad that you guys are there, uh, especially since Restful Animal Hospital is no longer there. There people still have an an option for somewhere to go, and you and your staff are so great with. With the animals and with the people, so thank you so much for offering what and doing what you do. Um, is there anything else that you would like to to add about this subject?
1: Um, no, I just hope that people can um, take what you say to heart and and really focus on the preventative wellness. And also, I hope that people can realize there's a place for um, accessible, high quality medicine. Because um, I think there's a bad image um, that still kind of goes with that. I think it's getting better, and a lot of the hospitals in the area are are um, responding to us better um, than when we first came about. Um, but I definitely think you know just realizing there is a place for both um, types of hospitals. You know your your for profits and your non profits, um, and also just getting away from that. You know low cost of care does not mean like you said cheap. Um, it just means we're managed differently and. kind of focus on different things but um, but
0: yeah sounds awesome well thank you so much for spending this time talking to me and keep doing what you're doing
1: all right thank you
0: our next guest is jen thomas who is the executive director of the ross county humane society which we work with with the rascal unit to provide low-cost sterilization services to the community so thanks jen for being here Thank you um, for having me. So the first question is, what is your take on the phrase, if you cannot afford an animal, you should not have one?
3: So if you can't afford the the vet,
0: don't get the pet. I think that
3: that is a very classist sort of statement. And I, I realize that there are a lot of people who maybe can't afford um. You know, expensive medical procedures for their pet, and the sad fact of that is, is, you know, everybody deserves the companionship of animals, but um, especially in our area, we I feel like we are in a lower income area. You know, most of the people that we are encountering can't afford to take their animal to the vet or a traditional vet. So um, I think that within some reason, like you know, it's. You have to expect that you're going to have some expenses when you get a pet. But the other option is if, if you can't afford the pet or the vet, don't get the pet. That means there's going to be a lot of pets, especially in our area, who are displaced because they have nowhere to go. Because if we're using that attitude, then most of my community shouldn't own pets. So.
0: And, and you guys are not, well, are you a limited intake or no?
3: Uh, we are. Yes and no. I know that's a terrible answer. So we contract with our county because they don't have an animal shelter. So if the dog warden brings us a dog, we have to take it. We don't have an option. If they have brought it in on their truck or they've told somebody they need to bring it in, we have to take it. Um, for owner surrenders, like we can say, yes, we can take or no, we don't have space to take, but we do try to take everybody that we reasonably can while still being able to provide proper care.
0: Okay. So, so definitely if people that could not afford something for their pet were faced with surrender because they can't do it, then that clearly would be a huge problem for the shelter.
3: It, it would be. And we, we actually just encountered this um, on Friday, a gentleman called and his dog was limping and he was like, you know, I just can't afford to take my dog to the vet. And at first I'm like, you know, we don't have any resources for that. And I ended up talking to him and we actually ended up covering his vet bill for him um, so that he's his dog could be seen. We thought maybe the dog's leg was broken, It ended up having Lyme disease. Um, so it was a really easy fix. Um, he ended up actually paying his own bill, he called me back and thanked me, you know, for being nice to him and like trying to help him out. So I know we can't do that with every single person. But like, we try to help people keep their pets, it doesn't benefit us, for them to bring their dog and give it to us, you know, unless it needs like a super major surgery. Um, that's gonna require follow-up care. Like at that point, we may say, hey, you know, we can help you, but you're gonna have to surrender this dog. But being able to provide low-cost pet care for people is the difference between us becoming full and the dog staying in its house.
0: Yeah, and, and along those lines, you know, you guys are are very good at promoting low-cost sterilization and wellness care. So, how does that impact the shelter, being able to offer low-cost sterilization to the community?
3: So we, Rascal right now is the only low cost option for um, spay neuter in our community. And, and you guys actually do a lot more than just spay neuters for us. I know it's probably not ideal for you, but you guys do a lot of surgeries um, and those clinics fill up. We, we start scheduling them two weeks before and they fill up every single time. So um, a lot of people from many different communities know that we host these clinics Um And they'll want to come and in the end, I hope that that will mean that, you know, at some point we'll have less animals coming in because the people that might not be able to afford sterilization now are so their animals aren't making, you know, more animals for the community that can't support them.
0: Do um, do you think that having a, a low cost wellness helps impact the overall health of the community animals and then by extent the health of the animals in the shelter?
3: Absolutely. Um, You know, a lot of, most of the dogs that we get in um, have never seen a vet ever. You know, they don't have any uh, vaccine history. Um, They don't have, and that's probably, I would say 75 to 80% of the dogs that come in have never seen a vet. So um, if somebody does decide that they need to help with their pet or they need to rehome their pet, it makes the stay for those pets a lot shorter with us if they've already had previous vet care. So if we could be able to provide low cost vet care to other members of the community that just at some point have no choice but to surrender their pet. Um, you know, it makes our job easier. It makes the dog short, stay shorter, and it makes the next adopter's life a little easier because we have some sort of history, um, on the dog instead of, it's just, you know, never had anything as long as it's been alive.
0: Uh, one thing that I have, that I have noticed over the years is that when we offer Uh, sterilization and wellness care, people take a a bigger sense of ownership over their animals and they, they understand the importance of it. So do you see a lot of people that maybe come in for the first time because they're either referred or you guys tell them that they have to, and then they learn that that's something that they should do and it educates them? Um, you know, I think it, honestly, I, I, It depends.
3: There are some people that are coming in because, you know, they they have to, or, you know, we've said like, hey, we have to get this dog fixed. But um, I think that they tell other people who we may not reach. So even if we're not, yes, the short answer is yes, it does educate them. And then they're going out and telling, you know, the other people that are their neighbors, hey, I got my dog fixed out at Ross County on Rascal. And it's, you know, it was $85 instead of $485. So yeah, I think it is a little bit of education. And then there's always going to be those people that no matter what you do, they're not going to be educated about it, they're going to do what they have to do. And that's going to be it. So um, we do try to educate every person that comes in, even if it's just to buy tags, or to ask a question like, hey, do you have pets at home? Are they spayed or neutered? You know, we have a low cost spay neuter clinic, because in the end, we want them to get sterilized. In most instances, um so that we can prevent you know animals from suffering needlessly by you know making more pets that don't have a place to go
0: so you guys have been having a lot of fundraising to open a new shelter so can you tell us a little bit about that
3: yeah so our current shelter was built in the late 90s and it's you've been in it it's quite literally falling down around us it's reached the end of its lifespan so the new building um will actually have um a veterinary suite inside of it so at first, it will be for our own use, the shelters, meaning we can get our dogs spayed and neutered faster, or before they leave for adoption, and not on a contract. Um, and then the long-term goal is to have a, a full-time veterinarian there that we will be able to provide low-cost services to the community in a bigger way than we currently do. So um, we're really excited about that. We had a donor that sponsored the surgery suite and we're hoping to break ground on that in spring. Ideally I'd love to be in the building by the end of next year but we'll see what happens but I'm really excited about the the hospital part of it. Cool.
0: Yeah and that's really great like we love it when when our rescue partners do that because it opens up our schedule to be able to offer services to areas that do not have the resources that you guys have. So yeah. that's something that is that it's really amazing. So how can people find information as far as the resources and the services that the humane society offers
3: so um, our website is obviously the best way it's rosscountyhumanesociety.org there's information about our rascal clinics that we host on there there's information about our adoptions there's information on dog food programs and there's information about our capital campaign for the new building which hopefully we will be in sooner rather than later
0: awesome Excellent. Anything that you want to add as far as the importance of the accessible and affordable veterinary care? I think that, you know, especially at least in our area, and
3: we're a pretty large area, we're one of the larger counties in Ohio. um, And, you know, a lot of the people are below that income line, and they just don't understand why it's important to spay and neuter. And I think that, For people to go out and have an open mind with those people and explain to them why it's important instead of, well, if you can't afford the vet, don't get the pet um, is going to be more beneficial for us in the long run. Because if you are, I find that if you're nicer to people, they're more likely to take, you know, your, what you're saying to them to heart instead of feeling like they're judged or anything like that. So um, it's very much needed in our area. We have people that come from all other counties, Highland County, Pickaway County, Vinton County. We get a lot from Vinton County, Jackson County. And I think you guys, do you guys go down to Jackson? Uh, Yes, we do. Yeah, so we get Fayette County. We get people from all the counties that surround us that are driving there or fighting to get Mm -hmm. spots. So clearly there is a need for a low cost option for Spay and Neuter. And if they are out there, they're not being advertised properly enough that people are wanting to drive two hours to come and get their dogs and cats fixed at our facility. So
0: Yeah, and that's a, a really good point. Just the fact that both the clinics get filled up so quickly and that people are traveling for so long. It's it shows that. Most clients are educated on the importance and the need of these services, and there's just no resources for them in their areas to find the the means to do it. And yeah, I I completely agree that it's better for a pet to live in a home that may not be as financially strong as some other homes, because how many animals need emergency care in their lifetime? Like not every animal. So if at least they can have a a nice, loving home, then that, that helps release the burden of the shelters. Yeah. We um, want to do the, so-
3: the best that we can with what we have. And I, I want the same for owners. I understand like not everybody has tons of money and, and if they have the companionship of a pet, um, you know, we, we want them to know that there are options for them and that they shouldn't feel bad if they have an emergency within reason, Um, for their pet and providing them those basic care items are going to in the long term prevent the bigger problems from coming up like heartworm or you know other things that can be prevented but they just don't have access to those things
0: absolutely excellent well thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on this topic thank you and we will make sure to share the the web's information and the contact information for people to be able to reach you guys great thank you So how are people affected by the lack of access and their ability to afford their pet's care? So to discuss this, our next guest is Dr. Andrea Iglesias. Dr. Iglesias is a clinical psychologist and brings a great perspective to this issue because she has experience both in clinical and community psychology. So thank you so much for joining us. And first, how about you share with us your background?
2: Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Dr. G. It's uh, great to have this conversation. Uh, So as you, as you mentioned, uh, my background is uh, in clinical psychology and community psychology. I always say I'm a clinical psychologist in training and community psychologist in practice. So uh, I have my, my doctorate in clinical psychology and spent a lot of time working with individuals and group um, conducting therapy, a lot of what you think about when you think about a psychologist or a therapist. And what that did is it allowed me to really get to know thousands of people and their stories and their struggles and for me it was really important that i found a way to take what i was learning and put that uh, into practice to affect the conditions that were affecting people's mental health and so over time i've shifted more into the community side to try to work with communities individuals advocates um, government agencies to figure out what helps people be healthy and make sure we can increase uh, access to those things to help improve everyone's quality of life. So uh, I currently work at a nonprofit and uh, focus particularly in public health, but wear the the psychologist and mental health hat in everything that I do.
0: Yeah, because a lot of people don't realize that some of the things that affect us emotionally and mentally affects us physically as well. Like there are physical problems that are a result of our our mental well-being would you Mm -hmm. say
2: right oh i absolutely they're they're completely interconnected uh one uh can it can impact the other uh for the better or for the worse actually um we can we see uh someone with uh you know experiencing a chronic disease might experience depression or anxiety as a result of it uh but depression, as we know, and anxiety can also lead to behaviors that, it, you know, can affect our, our physical health. So absolutely. Excellent.
0: Well, so within this topic, as far as accessibility and affordability of veterinary care, the first question that I'm asking everybody is, what do you think about the comment of if you cannot afford an animal, you should not have one?
2: uh I, I'm struggling a little bit because I am the psychologist part of me wants to give you a, a very particular type of answer and then the just the, the human side of me wants to have like a strong reaction to that question right <laughs> you know I feel like at 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 the core of it I feel like it's a social justice issue for me I really don't think that um that the benefits of you know having that bond with an animal having a pet should, just be for those that can afford it. Um, you know, I know we'll, we'll talk more about this, but there's so many benefits to, to having pets and, uh, the idea that, uh, that should only be for those with the privilege of having, uh, the resources to do that. Um, I, I think, uh, it's short-sighted, uh, at best and cool at worst. So I think there's a lot we can do to, to make sure that, uh, we can shift minds around that and, and also shift conditions to, to make it a reality for, for people who want and would benefit from having a pet can do so.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, from from the veterinary side and from the shelter side, we see about the fact that so many animals end up in shelters and how maybe somebody cannot give them a fancy home, but they can give them love and they can keep them out of the shelter as opposed Mm to being homeless and not, and not having where to go. So for, for the people, for the owners, how do they benefit from having animals?
2: Well, I think, you know, a lot of the, the research around mental health focuses on social support. And the importance of having social support as a buffer and a protective factor for a lot of the mental health conditions that that people experience, like depression and anxiety and PTSD. And when we think about social support, a lot of people don't naturally think about pets. They might think about, you know, mom, dad or sister or brother. But actually, our our pets are a great source of social support. That's why there's support animals, right? Our emotional support Mm -hmm. animals and and service animals. Uh, they, they can absolutely play that role. So uh, we know that whether it's kids or whether it's older adults, that having a pet creates that buffer um, gives, you know, there's company, there's the opportunity to, um, you know, engage in, in positive activities. Um, So that, that bond uh, really, I think, uh, supports better mental health and physical health across the lifespan. Um, and and I think we had, there's a lot of evidence for that.
0: I know that, you know, having like having a dog can make somebody that would potentially be depressed and sit on the couch and not move, just having that dog and having to take him outside for a walk or have that kind of interaction, even just petting them and having that oxytocin start level yeah. start going up. And and just feeling better in general. I think that, I mean, dogs have a lot to offer to people physically and mentally. Um, Absolutely. So so what what are the struggles then that people can suffer when they're unable to offer medical assistance, when they're seeing their animals that they need, whether it be preventive care or in some cases when they're sick or an emergency and they're unable to, to get them the medical assistance that they need due to cost or accessibility? So I think
2: I think it's important to maybe even rewind a little bit and think about the reasons why why people are in these positions in the first place. So, you know, I think, for example, someone that doesn't have the resources um, may not take their pet in to, to see their vet as frequently, or maybe when their pet is sick, they, you know, don't take them in soon enough out of fear of not being able to afford it or not having you know, access to information about what you're supposed to do when your pet is sick. And so when you get to the point where your, your pet needs that care or is sick or something's happened, there's just a huge burden and additional stress in addition to potentially a lot of guilt, right? Because Mm -hmm. you get the sense of this is my, my best friend. This is my social support. This is, uh, you know, someone that I, that I care about so much and they have these needs that I can't help meet, right. Because of my limitations or the the lack of funding that I have or, or resources or because I took too long. And so you have all these layers of, of stress that come on. So the, the potential loss of, of the pet or, um, the guilt that you might feel, um, the depression, the financial burden, and when, we, when, we, when we're talking about underserved populations, um, these are folks who are already under a ton of stress, disproportionately under a lot of stress. They're more likely to experience depression, anxiety, um, PTSD, uh, already have other physical ailments. Um, and so you, you, this really just compounds on all of that. Um, Not to mention that if something does happen to that pet, then what happens to that social support and that bond that they had that was maybe serving some of that, you know, protective factors that buffer um, from some of these, you know, additional mental health conditions. So it's, it, it can really be uh, really devastating um, for people because they want to be able to do more and can feel very powerless um, in this kind of situation, which powerlessness is not a good feeling. And- can certainly lead to um, a lot of, you know, the the mental health concerns that that we want to, um, you know, uh, prevent people from experiencing.
0: You know, given given that we're trying to figure out what are going to be the better ways, the best ways to to help with these problems, to provide uh, veterinary care to the underserved communities, and there are a lot of different barriers just with you know, the lack of veterinarians that are available, lack of veterinary okay. care, and then the people not being able to necessarily get to the areas that are needed, but also people not being able to get to the vet. So based, based on your experience with other type of community projects to improve the community well-being, what can, what can we take from that experience to improve the animal healthcare accessibility and affordability to these underserved communities?
2: Sure. So one of the things that we know from community psychology is that we can't just focus on the individual. So, yes, individuals are important in in the sense that they have a certain level of responsibility for their actions and their behaviors. and, And certainly that that is true. But what we also know is that human behavior is very much influenced by their environment and the conditions and the things that they have access to. So, you know, when you hear things like, you know, those that can't afford it shouldn't have a pet, there's a little bit of a a blaming the victim kind of piece there, because a lot of times people don't have resources or have limited resources because of inequities that they, you know, are facing just based on their zip code of where they were born, things that have been out of their control, um, and also just, you know, societal and cultural factors that um, create barriers for them. So we need to look at both of those pieces and and take, you know, from a community perspective, look at what are some of those barriers and conditions that are that are there that prevent people from um, having um, access to, to pet care and the things that they need to have um, healthy pets and, and and do something about that, take some action. So, for example, when it comes to other social issues like food security, Um, We look at things like um, availability, like you mentioned, you know, is there even care available in the area? What does that even look like? And how do we sort of create a bridge if the availability is not there? How do we create a a pipeline or or some, you know, increase that access? Accessibility in general can mean a lot of things. It could be affordability. Right. And do people have access or resources to reduce costs? Um, But it could also be just physical accessibility. So do people even have transportation to get to, um, to a clinic? And that's why, you know, some of the work around mobility clinics and, and things that, that bring the care to people and, and to community and where people are at can be, um, so impactful. It can make a huge difference. Um, we also look at, um, adequacy, like if there is care, is it good care? Is it the care that people need? Is it the care that pets need? Is it um, comprehensive? Um, We also look at, is it acceptable? You know, is it uh, culturally appropriate, culturally competent, in the right language? Are there there appropriate education? Um, Is it uh, aligned with, uh, you know, just making sure that we're attending to people's, you know, dignity and just how, how approachable it is, how inclusive and welcoming it is, and then the last piece is uh, looking at the agency level. So, what are some of the policies and, and processes and systems that are in place that that create barriers that we could maybe uh, help change? Whether it's at a at a like policy level, at a like municipal level, or it could be policies within you know clinics or institutions that. Um uh, that potentially could be changed to to increase access that are maybe creating barriers that don't really need to be there. Sometimes we tell ourselves stories about why we create certain policies or why we do things a certain way. Um, we have to do things by the book or that's how they've always been done. But if we take a look and we we get creative, maybe talk to people about what they need. and what would you know if, what if if you put something in place you know, what would help them be able to? Um, access uh, care more frequently or, um, you know, bring in their, their pets more often, people will tell you, you know, they'll, they'll give you an honest opinion about what they need (laughs) and, and maybe maybe even ask them to brainstorm with you, like what that could look like differently. And, and it could be a very small change that makes a really big difference. Um, So I think, you know, looking at all of that and taking a, a more community-level approach, a, a kinder, more empathic approach to to you know the the human experience and all the different reasons um, and the context of what people do, what they do, I think could could give a lot of answers for for how to address this issue um, more effectively and more compassionately.
0: I I really love that because yeah, it it makes you think about the fact that a lot of the people that. looking to solve these problems don't live within these problems so they're looking at it from the from the outside as this is a simple problem all we have to do is A, B, and C. But the people receiving the the help may have a completely different view of it. Plus they're living it. They're the ones that know. So I I really love that you brought up communication with the with the individuals that need the service. Make sure that the service is provided in a way that they need it, not what we think that that they may need. This has all been amazing. And I I just really hope that we were able to share information with the listeners to help them understand well, how animals need people, how people need animals, and why it is important for us to be able to to help the the animals and the underserved communities. So are there any last thoughts that you want to share with us? I think that what I would add
2: just a kind of a continuation of what we were just talking about is that I do think that we have to take some responsibility as a as a community to to take some action to if we if we truly believe which I think everyone listening to this does that that pets and animals play an important role in our human existence that that bond Plays a role in our emotional well-being and our physical well-being, which research tells us. But I think we all know that inside. All any of us who have had right. pets, you know, know that uh, what an important role they play. That we all have to take some action um, to to make sure that everyone has access to that opportunity, uh, because at the end of the day, it's not it's not a luxury. It shouldn't be a luxury um, to to have a pet and and to have uh you know the the resources you need to make sure that that your pet is healthy um it, it's it's about health it's about not just the pet's health but the human health um and and as well as quality of life and i just i hope we can get to a place in which we we invest our time and resources and our creativity uh to to make sure that that everyone not just to you know, can't afford it, can, can really benefit from what animals bring into our life.
0: Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and giving us this time. Uh, really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So what do I think about if you can't afford an animal, you should not have one. Well, My personal opinion is basically the same as our guest today. Pets should not be seen as a luxury, and while the owner should be responsible for the care of their pets, there is a need for services to help them provide for this care, just the same as there are services that help provide for housing, for health, for food needs. And this was the driving force behind my mobile veterinary practice, the Rascal Unit. We provide veterinary care throughout the state of Ohio. And our mission has been to help decrease pet euthanasia and pet surrenders due to cost. So while we can, we're not able to offer all the services that a full veterinary clinic can, but we can at least provide preventive care to maintain the health of the pet population and then treat some ailments that affect quality of life, like parasites, dental disease. Now, the Humane Society of the United States has an amazing program called Pets for Life, and quoting from their website, Pets for Life is driven by social justice and guided by the philosophy that a deep connection with pets transcends socioeconomic, racial, and geographic boundaries. And no one should be denied the opportunity to experience the benefits, joy, and comfort that come from the human-animal bond. So that right there is powerful and a great conclusion to all the stories that our guests have shared today. Uh, pets for Life has many resources available on their website for, to help develop programs and help find assistance to help keep pets with their owners because they make a great point about helping keep people with their, with their pets. When someone cannot afford medical care for an animal and surrenders them, the individual suffers from the loss of a family member. The pet also suffers because they're losing their person. And then we're increasing the burden on a humane organization to find a home for this pet. And most humane organizations already are limited in resources. So Jen Thomas provided a great real life example of how providing assistance helped everyone, the owner, the dog, and the shelter. Just that small act of kindness went a long way. And it helped save the shelter money and resources. And in the end, the the pet owner was able to afford it. He just needed, a resource, he just needed to to be shown what is available for him to be able to help his pet. So instead of just telling him you have to put your dog down or you have to get rid of your dog, no, here is a way for you to keep this pet that you love and that you're providing a loving home uh, with you. So that is pretty powerful. So I hope this has been an eye-opening experience. Uh, I know it has given me things to think about and a different perspective into the importance of accessible and affordable veterinary care. Uh, The links mentioned on this episode are gonna be posted on our website at forensics.vet. That's forensics.vet. So thank you for listening and thank you for caring.